Good morning. I'm going to raise up my stand here. It's good to be here with you this morning, worshiping and looking at God's Word. Um, so this morning is uh, Pentecost Sunday. It's a time in the, the life of the church to remember the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecost is um, 10 days after the ascension of Jesus into heaven and 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And Pentecost uh, was, it was a feast established before the church and before Jesus. It was a Jewish festival, also called the Feast of Weeks. And it was a time where people would gather in Jerusalem primarily to remember the gift of the Ten Commandments and the law, and also to give thanks for the harvest. Well, Pentecost, for us this morning as we remember it, is the start of the Christian church. The start of God giving the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit dwelling in all those who have faith. And so as we think about what Ozzy read from Acts and we remember Pentecost, it's a chance for us to think about this gift of the Spirit. It's also a chance to celebrate that in the Spirit we have the possibility of, of new beginnings, of new beginnings in our life and in our community. Confess that the Spirit renews us and empowers us to be God's people, joining Him in mission. It's a chance for us to give thanks that the Spirit's described as a counselor, as a comfort to us. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage from Romans 8 that talks about the Spirit and how the Spirit is a gift to us, to all those who are in Christ, and especially around the question of, who am I? What does God say about who we are? Before we look at that passage, though, it's worth mentioning that the disciples that were gathered that morning in Jerusalem in which the Spirit fell upon them, those men and women, they, like us, were defined in a variety of ways by the people around them, right? They were defined by their ethnicity, defined by the language they spoke or didn't speak. They were defined by how they dressed or their learning or their trade or profession. And if we're going to be honest and we look at the history of the early church, most of these men and women did not measure very highly in the way the society would evaluate those categories. Yet in the midst of that, God says something different. God says, by the Spirit, by the fire and the wind, that you are mine. That these men and women, you are my people, my children. And that I hope that we can hear and even join with that thousands and thousands of years ago is that God is saying to you, as he said to the men and women then, you are my son or my daughter. So we'll see in our our reading from Romans 8, this gift of the Spirit, that all who have faith in Christ receive the Spirit. And the Spirit is one of life and one of adoption into God's family. So let's look at our passage. This is in your order of worship, Romans 8, 11 through 17, or you can follow in your Bible, or just listen as I read. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the sonship, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
This is God's Word, given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've gathered us here, and we, we acknowledge that you are the one who has called us. You've called into our hearts, into our lives by your Spirit. And Lord, as we're here now, please meet us by your Word. Lord, we need to hear from you. And we need your Spirit to be present, to lift our, our hearts and to lift our heads, that we'd see you and know ourselves in light of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look and think about Pentecost and look at this passage that tells us about who we are in Christ, there's, there's three parts that I want us to identify in our passage and the three parts of our sermon. We're going to see that the Spirit gives life, the first thing, and that we receive a spirit of adoption, and third and finally, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So first, the Spirit gives life. God gives us this gift, the Spirit, and that Spirit dwells in us, makes it its home and all those who are in Christ. Twice right away, our passage opens by reminding us that this Spirit dwells in you. And, and how is the Spirit described? It's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, if it dwells in you, it gives life to your mortal bodies. And so here we're presented with this, this contrast between mortality and death and life. As we enter in to think about what the Spirit does, it's good to think about the mortality in the, in the broad sense of what Paul's alluding to here, that we are people who are marked by death. We're reminded on Ash Wednesday and other times in our life that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. This is part of the reality of our own individual lives and those around us that we love and know. But talk about our mortal bodies, it's not just the reminder that death is present, but that in our sin that we are separated from God. Maybe you remember in the opening stories of the, of the Scriptures in Genesis, we hear that by disobeying God, they brought death, but that death also was marked just, not just by a, an absence of the body going away, but it was marked by separation, that we were made to be in connection with God, but it was broken. And that separation brought separation within ourselves, separation with one another, and even with the world around us. And so our passage says that the sinful nature of the flesh, it leads to death, that, but there's something else. But God's gift leads to life. In the midst of our mortal bodies, that God brings a spirit that brings life. And again, life here is, is to be thought about in the fullest sense, the most that we can imagine. What is life? Beginning with the reality that we were made in the image of God, and therefore, life would be that we learn more and more to be human, to actually bear that image. That life is that we are pardoned of our guilt, that we are fully accepted by God, that we're spiritually reborn and given new identities, and that brokenness, that disconnection, now is reconciled with God. And out of that reconciliation, that we might have reconciliation within ourselves, with each other, and even in the world that God made. See, the Spirit is the source of life. And so what I want us to think about in this first part of the Spirit of life is that God is the active one. This is part of what we see in the book of Romans and in our passage, but all of the, the Christian gospel is that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, while you and I were left in the fruit of our death and our sin, God was active. God is the one who moved towards you. God is the one who took an interest and loved you in the face of our sin and need, in the face of mistreatment or dismissal by others, 
God makes us alive in Christ by His Spirit. God is the active one. And in God's activities, we can ask, what was the purpose of God's actions? Or maybe, what is the purpose of Christianity? What's the end? And I'm sure you know this already, but it's worth saying that it's not merely that we grow in our understanding, have a theological richness and understanding God's Word. That's wonderful. It's not even that we'd have a new ethic. Certainly God calls us to live in His kingdom. But God acted. God acted in the face of our sin and death that we would be united to God. The end of Christianity, the goal, the purpose of what God has done by the Spirit is to make us alive and to give us Christ. At the heart of the Spirit's work at the, at the Pentecost is not that we're by ourselves alone, but that Christ and His death and resurrection comes to us and that we are united with Christ. You see, the Spirit is referenced by the Spirit that brought Jesus back to life and the resurrection. And we're reminded that that is not just a past event. Jesus didn't just die and rise in, in history. He did that. What the Spirit's doing is it's applying that death and resurrection to us today. And that application is that we would be united to Christ, that we would no longer be on our own, but that we would be with God, in communion with God. Things that had been a separate are united. And the way that that life and that union is described, that being in Christ, the way it's described in our passage is that we're given the spirit of adoption. So the first thing was that the spirit brings life, that God is the active one to, to bring life where there was no life. And the way that that life is understood for us is in our union with Christ, that we have the spirit of adoption. And the way that that begins in our passage, Paul starts talking about the fact that we are in debt. Do you see that? Brothers and sisters, we are debtors. Now what comes to mind when you hear the word debt? <laughs> I imagine it's not a, a positive word that usually things come to mind. I assume we think of things like loans and credit cards and mortgage and money we owe in all sorts of ways. And I assume if you're like me that it can be a weight. One of the most terrible things about debt is that it dominates our minds. You know, whatever we think of, we have a plan or what we hope to do, and if we have debt in our life, it can, be, it can come in and interrupt those plans or those hopes. Impacts how we see the world or the choices before us. It's possible to think about debt, though not just about money. Maybe we can think of someone who has helped us in the past, and now that help hangs over us. You owe me. You owe me for how I've helped you. I mention those things because I'm sure that's what comes to mind for many of us, but in here in our passage, the word functions differently. When Paul says that we are debtors, he is talking about our identity. Maybe it's helpful to talk about the Greek word here that many of the New Testament translations, instead of using the word debt, say that we are under an obligation. I think that's helpful to think of it. We are under an obligation. Brothers and sisters, there is one who has helped you. And it's not help that looms over you or enslaves you, but it's help that draws you close, builds a connection, supports you, and gives you a new identity out of that help. Jesus' work is for us. Jesus saves us, reconciles us, justifies us. Jesus takes us as his brothers and sisters. And therefore, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if the Spirit dwells in you, you have a new identity 
a new obligation, a new direction to live. The Roman law in that day allowed one to adopt a child and to confer on that child all the legal rights and privileges that would occur to a biological child. And in Paul's world, this adoption was ordinarily for, of young adult males of good character to become heirs and to maintain the family name for a childless rich person or couple. Here, though, Paul, Paul uses that idea, that understanding in his setting and proclaims that God's gracious adoption of men and women he does not not think about good character, about maintaining a family name, but that God and God's graciousness adopts men and women who were dead in their sins and trespasses. God adopts them as heirs, co-heirs of Christ. And Paul uses this description of God's action for us, this adoptive status meaning that we are not on our own, that we are forever part of God's family, a permanent intimacy established that God is our Father. You see, brothers and sisters, Paul writes, that we have the spirit of adoption. We are no longer debtors or obligated to live on our own or to our sinful nature, but now we have a new identity. We are sons and daughters of God. And this adopted status, it changes where we look for the truth about ourselves. Do you hear that? I want to say that again. That the adopted status, this action of God, it changes where we look for the truth about who we are. It gives us a new identity. The spirit of adoption means Christ shares with us his own relationship as the Father's beloved Son. Christ shares with you and me, if we have faith, he shares with us his relationship with the Father as the beloved Son. You see, after his baptism, Jesus comes up out of the water. Maybe you know the story. He's baptized in the Jordan. He comes up out of the water, and God the Father says, you are my beloved son. Words that were meant to express affection for Jesus, and also words publicly to announce who Jesus is. And the spirit of adoption means that these words in Christ now belong to us. You are my beloved. You are my beloved son my beloved daughter. You are adored, much loved and cherished by the God who made all things. I don't know how that strikes you, and maybe that's good news that you haven't heard before. Maybe you've heard it before, but you've forgotten or not sure what you think of it. I mean, do we believe that? That's the proclamation of the gospel, what Paul is inviting us to say when you have the spirit of adoption that God sees you as his child, that you've been fully accepted and brought into God's family. Henry Nouwen has an author who wrote many books about the Christian faith, and in one book in particular he, he wrote because someone, a friend of his, asked him to explain, tell me about the spiritual life. What, what does it mean to be a spiritual person in this world? And now one writes that ever since you asked me to write for you and your friends about the spiritual life, I've been wondering if there might be one word I would most want you to remember. Over the past year, that special word has emerged in my heart and thoughts. 
And it's the word beloved. Beloved. Out of that adoption, out of that union that God has made, the Spirit moves us to cry out, Abba, Father. To cry out to God, Daddy. A precious and intimate name. Martin Luther writing about that, wrote about Abba, Father, saying this is a little word, yet notwithstanding it comprehends all things. Although I be oppressed with anguish and fear and seem to be on my own, yet I am your child and you are my father. You are my beloved. We have so much fear, right? So many things that overwhelm us, afraid of being known or not being known. We have so much anxiety and guilt and shame, whether it's looking in the past or worries about the future. This morning, what I want us to hear in this, this gift as we think about Pentecost and the gift of the Spirit that gives life and adoption is the good news that you are fully received into the family of Christ. And in Christ, we are promised an inheritance of life that no one can take that inheritance away by what they say or what they do. Because this security, this adoption is not based in our feelings, it's not based in our own promises, but it is based completely from beginning to end in the loyalty and in the promise of the one who does the adopting. God acting for you. And in that action, God promises to us the pardon, the putting away of our sin and our guilt. And God promises His steadfast love that you are mine and I am yours. Well, it can be hard to receive that truth. It can be hard to believe it. And hard to remember that. And so the third part of what the Spirit does, the third thing we see is that the Spirit testifies. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit because we need the Spirit to help us to actually receive this truth. It might not be obvious in our text, but the language of leaving slavery, of falling back into fear, of living in adoption, inheritance, all these things evoke the story of Israel as they were leaving behind slavery in Egypt and as they were traveling to the wilderness to the promised land. I imagine many of you know that story, but God proclaims by his actions through Moses that you are no longer slaves, but you are my children, my special ones. Yet even as the Israelites leave Egypt, even as they pass through the Red Sea on their way to the Promised Land, they struggle to leave behind the ways and the identity of fear and bondage. And we know that this makes sense, right? We know it from our own life. We know how past events, past words, past choices, experiences still haunt us, make it hard to embrace a new identity, a new way. We know that there are many cruel masters in this world, or many that would claim to be over us. The journey from slavery to promise is through the wilderness, and the wilderness is a place of uncertainty and It's a place there we wrestle with faith and fear and control and trust. And as a result, various times in the wilderness, the Israelites want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back. They want to go back to what is known, even if it's a place of bondage. 
Moses, why did you bring us out of here? Why did you bring us out here to die? At least we had food back in Egypt. One author counts 14 different complaints recorded by the Israelites against God and Moses about bitter water, about hunger and thirst, about blandness of the food provided, about the uncertainty of the journey, about how things have gotten worse, not better. We read in the New Testament how the Bible is like a mirror that allows us to see ourselves. Certainly here we can see that we, this is true for us. How often do we question where God is leading us? How often do we think we should go back to go back even to slavery or bondage because we know what it's there. This journey along with the passage tells us something about us, tells us about, about being human, that we are a conflicted people. There are times and parts of us that pursue or hold tight to certain pleasures or certain ways even when we know and even when we agree that they lead to our death. That we aren't only conflicted, but we are forgetful people times that we simply act as if we are on our own or orphans in this world, times we forget God with no God, no brother or sister to help us. We can think about the wilderness of our life, the wilderness of broken or strained relationships, the wilderness of uncertainty of how others see us. The wilderness of parenting our children, the wilderness of financial stress, the wilderness of, of health for ourselves or those that we love, the wilderness of being dismissed because of your faith, or longing for marriage or family. And what we see in our passage is that on our own, on your own, we cannot assure ourselves. On our own, we cannot rise up and make our way through all these things that are uncertain. And therefore, the Spirit testifies to you. Therefore, the Spirit bears witness to your spirit, saying that you are a child of God. The Spirit declares a promise. If God's child, then you are heirs with Christ of glory and life, and no one can take that. Remember, we are not obligated, not debtors to the flesh. It has done us no favors. Seeking our own way will not bring the life that you long. Remember, you do not belong to the opinions or the criticism or the demands of others. Remember, you are God's beloved. You are not on your own, not an orphan. But that God has freed you and called you and adopted you as his son or daughter. And it is rooted in God's actions for you. It is difficult to believe at times in the midst of the world's judgments or in the midst of our sin, our brokenness, in the midst of mistreatment from others or our shame. The Spirit testifies that wants us to hear, to cry out, Abba, Father, to remember how God sees you. The American poet and author named Ray Carver uh, published a number of works, and his last work called A New Path to the Waterfall was a collection that was written while he was dying of cancer. And the final poem in that final collection is titled Late Fragment. And it reads like this. And did you get what you wanted from this life, even so? I did. And what did you want? To be called beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth. 
Did you get what you wanted from this life? I don't know, Ray Carver, and as a poet, there's ambiguity, right? Is this a real conversation that happened in his final days? Or one that he was imagining, or a conversation that happened in his own heart? But it brings us to this question of what do we long for? And in he, he he vocalizes a longing to be loved, to be beloved, to be received and acknowledged as identity from another person or from God. What are we doing this morning as we gather? Why do we gather here in God's name? We do it to remember and to declare to each other as we gather to worship, to participate in the dwelling life of the Spirit in our own hearts and with one another. We gather as a church to remember, to declare to each other that we can be encouraged to who we are in Christ. For some come ready to proclaim in trust, I am been received by Christ. Others we gather uncertain or not sure what we think about this idea. And so we gather together to proclaim and to remind each other, to encourage each other. But the gospel says that God's gospel, that God's movement, that in Christ, by the dwelling of the Spirit, you are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And in that adoption, we hear the answer to the question, who are you? Who are you? Our adopted status changes where we look for the truth about ourselves. It changes where we look, not our money, not the degrees that we have, not what our house looks like or doesn't look like, not what our children are doing. Where we look for our status and identity is the adoption of Christ. Adopted in Him, united to Christ in the promise of God. Whenever we hear that voice, whenever we let the Spirit testify to us, it is like finding a well in the desert. It is like finding water in the midst of a parched and thirsty land. And I pray that whenever that voice reminds you and the Spirit testifies to you, that you would listen and that you would turn your hearts and let your hearts cry out, Abba, Father, to know the God who created you has called himself your Father. And that before him in Christ, you are beloved. And he has welcomed you to put away the shame and the guilt to put away the uncertainties that you may live as his people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you for the good news of Christ, that you have moved towards us. We pray, Lord, that we'd hear that and receive it and believe it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Father, you have sent us your Spirit to be with us forever, to dwell in us, to renew us, and to show us what is true. Therefore, with great joy, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. You may be seated. Well, having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people, that God gives us his gifts. This table is a picture, a pointer to the good news of Christ, a family table 